Arlington police say protests Monday remain generally peaceful, but say there were, quote, several agitators. Send me another unit, please. Send me another unit. A movement, I'm telling you, they're not going to stop. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. All right, welcome back to Into the Fray. Heels are dug in. There's finally pushback. I'd been wondering a long time how far things would have to go before people took a hard stand, before people said enough, drew a hard line, and held it. Thursday night, as I watched a map of America begin to fill with defiant states, I couldn't help thinking of this quote. The more you tighten your grip, Tuck, the more star systems will slip through your fingers. How far can they push us before people take a hard stand? Apparently, this far, and only this far. This is hopeful. We've been playing both sides of the field here for a long time. We've been trying to keep our freedoms and our way of life, while at the same time trying to remain comfortably aloof and uninvolved. At some point, we're going to have to decide if we want to be free, or if we're going to accept the subjugation and slavery that comes with being taken care of by the government. That's the choice. Those are the options. There are basically only two types of government. Governments based on power and governments based on limiting power. These are backed by similarly opposing philosophies. Might makes right versus God-given rights. In today's politics, and this isn't anything new, the American left has founded themselves on the philosophy of might makes right. The American right has founded itself on the philosophy of God-given rights. We often talk about the left as communist or socialist. We really have to get to a deeper understanding of what we're talking about here. First, communism and socialism are the same thing. If you just had a panic attack at that statement, keep listening. It's all going to make complete sense here in a moment. Communism and socialism are both Marxism. They're not variants of Marxism. They are Marxism. When most people talk about communism, socialism, or Marxism, they talk about an economic system. Most people seem to labor under the delusion that Marxism, by whatever name it's called, is an economic system designed to provide equally for everyone and eliminate wealth stratification. Nothing could be further from the truth. The economic utopia proposed in Marxism is a lie used to sell power consolidation. That's all it is. It's a lie used to sell something. The economic system doesn't work. Never has. Because it was never designed to work. Marx's musings were never designed to elevate people. They were designed to control mass populations. He said as much. If you actually read what he wrote, he wasn't shy about it, or about his aspirations to be the big chief on top of it all. Forced equity, forcing the equality of outcome, destroys both equality of opportunity and equality of outcome. The people using force know this. That's the entire point. Equity is a part of the Marxist lie they use to sell their power consolidation. The only people who benefit from equity are the people using said force. They become powerful and wealthy while everyone else infights themselves into subservience. If you struggle to understand the left, 
The people calling for the death of the free market, the overthrow of the Constitution, the destruction of the family, and the supremacy of wokeness. It's probably because you're trying to understand them through the normal frame of bettering life for everyone. We tend to assume that everyone wants a world where they can work and provide, where their children can be safe and grow up with every advantage. We share the same basic values, right? Wherever you live, whatever religion you belong to, we all just want peace in this world. We want our children to grow up healthy and happy, right? No, they don't look at the world that way. To them, everything is power. That's the frame they use. If your frame holds a canvas with everything good and beautiful on earth, their frame holds a canvas with a meaningless splotch that represents power. Even death is framed in power. You ever heard the phrase, rest in power? This is the foundation of moral relativism, of might makes right. More than anything, they simply want power. Power is the virtue. Power is the goal. If you understand the lust for power like a drug addiction, it becomes much easier to understand. Don't look for reasonable or rational ends. Don't look for purpose. Look at this as a powerful, craving need that can never be satisfied. It's often said that communism has failed everywhere it's been tried. That's not technically true. The purpose of communism is power consolidation. When you understand that, you understand that communism has succeeded spectacularly in many places it's been tried. People look at the later years of Soviet Russia, or China as it is today, and they say that they transitioned out of communism into some other form of authoritarianism. No. The people who say this are still laboring under the delusion that communism is an economic system. It isn't. It never has been. But the lie worked. The people fell for it, and enough power was consolidated that the lie was no longer necessary. Once the state controls everything, whoever controls the state controls everything. When you have enough control, there's no longer any need for pretense. Ezra Benson was the Secretary of Agriculture under President Eisenhower. I think I may have played this before, but it should be a pointed reminder considering current events. Late in his life, he said this in a public speech. I have personally witnessed the heart-rending results of the loss of freedom. I have talked face-to-face -face with the godless communist leaders. It may surprise you to learn that I was host to Mr. Khrushchev for a half day when he visited the United States. Not that I'm proud of it. I opposed his coming then, and I still feel it was a mistake to welcome this atheistic murderer as a state visitor. But according to President Eisenhower, Khrushchev had expressed a desire to learn something of American agriculture. And after seeing Russian agriculture, I can understand why. <laughs> As we talked face to face, he indicated that my grandchildren would live under communism. After assuring him that I expected to do all in my power to assure that his and all other grandchildren will live under freedom, he arrogantly declared in substance, you Americans, are so gullible. No, you won't accept communism outright. But we'll keep feeding you small doses of socialism until you'll finally wake up and find you already have communism. We won't have to fight you. 
We'll so weaken your economy until you fall like overripe fruit into our hands. Turns out, they were both right. Almost half the country right now is begging for the lie of communism and the unlimited power it grants. Almost half the country is determined to remain free. Who succeeds will likely be determined by which side is more dedicated and vigilant and how large the middle group of squishes turns out to be. That lukewarm group of squishes languishing in their passive squishiness are willfully blind and dumb sheep following the shepherd that promises to keep them comfortable. They may be inactive, passive. All they add to the situation is more warm bodies. But as Dan Carlin has said, quantity has a quality all of its own. Right now, you may have noticed that there are a lot of very powerful people trying to transition us from a God-given rights government to a might-makes-right government. They want the power to do whatever they want. I've said this before, the lust for power is like drinking salt water. There's no amount that will quench their thirst. Again, it's akin to an addiction. Once hooked, they're constantly looking for more and can never be satisfied. The reality is that anyone can do anything they're physically capable of if no one stands in their way. Under the might-makes-right philosophy, government power is used to crush all opposition in order to do what the powerful want. Under the God-given rights philosophy, the government is limited so that its power can only be used to protect the rights of its citizens so they can live their own lives. Both are uses of force. That's an important fact to understand. Government, in any form, is force. It's the limitation of that use of force and its assigned purpose that makes all the difference. In the United States, we've been blessed with a layered system of checks and balances. The system was designed to put people in the way. The three branches of government check each other. The states check the feds. And the people check them all. The system was designed to ensure that no one person or group could gain enough power to overthrow or subject the rest. But this isn't an automated system. A castle was a powerful tool for defense. But if the moat was not maintained, the gate was not secured, the turrets were not manned, and the boiling oil was allowed to cool, in other words, if the defenses were neglected, the protection offered by the castle was void. We've allowed the moat to fill. The bridge is rusted in the down position. The gate is rotted through. The turrets, at best, are manned by archers with no arrows. And the boiling oil is a cold, thick sludge. We have failed in our duty to maintain the cause of liberty. And now, our liberty is failing. Sort of. Thursday night, I think the fire under the oil was relit, and a handful of people started repairing the gate. Thursday afternoon, I saw a naked power play by a would-be dictator, possibly the most blatant screw-the-constitution move I've seen in my lifetime. I also saw, within hours, 22 state governors publicly and openly defy him. That number is now up to 27. Within minutes, the governor of South Carolina had posted this. The American dream has turned into a nightmare under President Biden and the radical Democrats. They have declared war against capitalism, thumbed their noses at the Constitution, and empowered our enemies abroad. Rest assured, we will fight them to the gates of hell to protect the liberty and livelihood of every South Carolinian. On Thursday, Twitter user BattleBeagle asked people to send in copies of written statements by governors and state AGs defying the mandate. 
As of midnight that night, a map had been compiled marking the 21, now 27 states who immediately declared the rejection of the would-be dictator's decree. Here are those states. Take notice. These are the places that immediately stood up for their citizens. Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, Utah, Arizona, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Texas, Iowa, Missouri, Arkansas, Indiana, West Virginia, Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, and Alaska joined Friday morning. By Saturday, Louisiana, Ohio, West Virginia, Kentucky, and New Hampshire had also joined. South Dakota, Texas, Tennessee, Georgia, and South Carolina were the fastest to stand up. Just for the record. I've said on here over and over that I think the free states standing up and standing together in defense and support of the Constitution is our only hope. Thursday night, we saw it. If your head's been six feet deep in sand for the last few days, Biden got on TV Thursday afternoon and declared a vaccine mandate. All federal employees are mandated to get the vaccine. No exemptions. Oh, uh, except for postal workers. Somehow they're exempt. All employees of companies that contract with the federal government are mandated to get the vaccine. Again, no exemptions of any kind. And the kicker, the thing that lit the country on fire Thursday night. All employees of companies with 100 employees or more must be vaccinated or be tested weekly. And this still is essentially a de facto vaccine mandate because these companies would have to expend massive resources and create entire departments to administer and track all of those tests. Easier to just say, nah, you gotta get vaccinated. Not only is that completely outside the scope of the enumerated powers, it was done unilaterally by the executive branch. Jack Posobiec's wife is from the Eastern Bloc. She grew up in a place all too familiar with abuse of power. She posted this. This is how they started in USSR. They always tell you it's for the national protection and safety of the people. The same exact thing they always say. What are you doing, America? But this wasn't just an announcement of a new illegal federal mandate. No, he threatened the American people and their elected governors. Hat tip Town Hall and Disclose.tv If they'll not help, if these governors won't help us beat the pandemic, I'll use my power as president to get them out of the way. We've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin. Oh, really? Our patience is wearing thin? First, whose patience is wearing thin? Our is a plural, so who's involved in this? Second, Biden was hired to do a job for us. That's it. The job of president needed doing, and for this four-year term, Biden's in. Now, I'm quite sure he cheated his way in, but he's there nonetheless. He was hired to do a job. Go to the top brass at whatever company you work for and tell them that your patience is wearing thin. See what happens. It looks like the Biden administration needs a reminder who's really in charge here. The Constitution begins with the words, we the people, for a reason. In the United States, the people are sovereign. The entire Constitution, the supreme law of the United States, is nothing more or less than a fence around government power telling them that they can do a very few specific things and nothing else. Maybe that's why the National Archives has labeled the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, 
and other founding documents with a warning that they are racist and outdated. Let me remind you, this is the National Archives that has done this. This one deserves receipts. From The Blaze. The National Archives and Records Administration determined recently that America's founding documents may be harmful or difficult for some users to view, since they reflect outdated, biased, offensive, and possibly violent views and opinions. The agency notes that some items may reflect racist, sexist, ableist, misogynistic, misogynoir, and xenophobic opinions and attitudes be discriminatory toward or exclude diverse views on sexuality, gender, religion, and more, include graphic content of historical events such as violent death, medical procedures, crime, wars, terrorist acts, national disasters, and more, demonstrate bias and exclusion in institutional collecting and digitizing policies. They are digging up the hedges that protect us by their roots. It's all about power. The Constitution stands in their way, so they uproot it. We the people stand in their way, so they're trying to uproot us. Our patience is wearing thin. That's a threat. The President of the United States openly threatened the American people Thursday afternoon. And it's not the first time. Remember just a few weeks ago his comments about the blood of patriots and tyrants yada yada? and how you need F-15s and nukes to take on the government? He was telling the American people who's in charge, and there's nothing you can do about it. He's wrong, but it was a threat. In essence, we're in charge, we have bigger guns than you. Don't even think about defying us. Well, guess what? 27 states have already defied them. I've mentioned on here a few times that I think our only hope in this struggle is states digging in their heels to protect their people. We're there. It's happening. We'll fight them to the gates of hell, says the governor of South Carolina. If you live in any of the states I mentioned earlier, there's a glimmer of hope there. But if we want to turn this thing around, there's only one antidote to the madness that is destroying our nation right now. We have to turn back to God. Regardless what denomination you ascribe to, or none at all, there are a couple of fundamental truths absolutely necessary to live in harmonious society that come from belief in the Christian God. 1. That He created us and we are His children. That means that we all have divine value and that we all have equal value. Where do our rights come? How is it that we have the right to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness? How is it that we're all equal when we are so clearly not equal? Some of us are fantastic writers. Some of us are fantastic ball players. Some of us are fantastic organizers. We're not equal, not in our capacity, not in our capability, but we all have equal divine value because we are children of God. It means that life is sacred and that our life here on earth has purpose. Two, we are accountable to our Creator. We are responsible for our choices and actions, and God will hold us to account for them. The implications of those two truths, that we are children of God and that we are accountable to Him, touch every aspect of life. Now, God will not force Himself on us. 
I dedicated two entire episodes to this point early on. God will not force himself on us. Therefore, we must first reach out to him. The moment we do that, provided we do it with honest intent, he reaches back. If you don't know that God is real, understand that he is our creator, he loves us, he wants us to succeed in every possible way. He will give us any and every tool we need in order to succeed, and he wants us to come to know him. Start with that premise, and then acknowledge that if he is really there, and if the points I just laid out are true, then we have a responsibility to follow him, to seek him out, and live our lives by his standard. If you're willing to do that, provided he really is there, then seek him in honest prayer, with genuine intent to follow whatever knowledge and instruction he gives. Don't sweat the formalities in the beginning. Just go talk to him like you would any parent who loves you. Through prayer, we speak to God. Through the Spirit, through understanding impressed on our soul, God speaks to each of us. Life on earth has purpose, and we are accountable to God. This means that we are responsible for seeking him and learning that purpose and his standards. If we want to fix our country, we have to turn back to God. More than half the country dug in their heels and took a stand this week. Let's appreciate that for the monumental accomplishment it is. But we also have to recognize that if we try to do this on our own, disregarding God's commandments and guidance, it all comes to nothing. Remember the lesson of 2 Kings chapter 6. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host encompassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. That, that is how you defeat evil. That is how you secure the rights and liberties of this blessed nation. The same way our founding fathers did it. With firm reliance on divine providence. It can be done by turning back to God. And no other way. Till next time, be informed. Stay safe. Don't do anything stupid. (music) 